All righty, welcome to episode 19 of Creativity Conversations. And my first act of the call is to welcome Stephanie Benevetto Padovani. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Nina. It is a great pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. If you haven't been on this creativity call before, I started it because I was interested in disillusioning people of the notion that they weren't creative. So now I get to talk to people who live an embodied creative life. They understand it and they get to share it with other people. So jumping right in, I am going to read Stephanie's bio and then we can see what else shows up. So here we go. Stephanie of The Awakened Business helps coaches, healers, and spiritual entrepreneurs craft an irresistible message to attract soulmate clients online without marketing. She's a wild creation coach, more about that later, soul storyteller and more, and unmarketer who uses curious questions, guided visualization stories, and play to alchemize joyful creativity in all its forms. She's coached both solopreneurs and multi-million dollar businesses and has been featured on the Huffington Post, Fox Business News, Vox, and numerous publications on and offline. Stephanie is a six two, six over two emotional projector. You'll have to tell us about that. <laughs> According to human design, ENFP per Myers-Briggs, Enneagram type two, and a triple water sign, Pisces, Cancer, Cancer, with a thing for dragons, wolves, and impossible questions. Her website is theawakenedbusiness.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What should we talk about? Oh my goodness. Well, this is all about creativity, right? It's so fun to hear an introduction like that. I'm like, oh gosh, is that, is that really, is that really what I am? No, not at all. <laughs> and yet it's not, not. There we go. So what are your ponderings about creativity today, Nina? Well, this is the sideways entrance into that question but I've been reading a book called The Ten Worlds of Happiness. Mm. And they described enlightenment, going into deep topics this afternoon, as living in a state of awe. And that's one thing I think of you as doing, living in a state of wonder and amazement. So mm. talk about how it is that you come to live that way. Oh, wow. What a good question. You know, I'm moved to share something that I just saw on Facebook before joining you here. There was a question posed in a group that I'm a member of, and the question was, on a scale from one to 10, how was your week? And my first reaction was, well, week's not done yet. How could I even tell you? Like, I don't know. And then I said, how do I answer that question? Like, what is my criteria? Is it metrics? Is it results? Is it, did I get new clients or scratch things off my to-do list? Is it how I'm feeling? Because Lord, that's been all over the place. Like, how do I even answer that question? Creativity. It's like, is it creativity? Was I creative this week? Was I alive? And I went, oh, alive. That one sounds good. And I was like, well, if I'm alive and I'm engaged, which I always am, even if I don't feel it, right? Like if I'm, a, how could it not be a 10? I mean, my experience of it might not be a 10, but the week is always a 10. And I was like, but I can't say that. Like, nobody says that. It's like, you know, I'm not saying I'm living at a 10 experience all the time, but that is living at a 10 experience because it isn't, right? So, so I don't know if this is answering your question, but this is kind of what occurs to me all the time. Is that true? What else? Huh? 
I wonder. And I think that helps me to see things, something new, that curiosity. So I don't always experience it as awe, but curiosity, which I think kind of maybe lives in the neighborhood. They live in the same neighborhood, right? <laughs> yes. I love what you're saying. They must have been referring to a Monday through Friday week in their mind. And they thought that since it's Friday, regardless of what time it is on Friday, that they're already going to make an assessment about it and put it in their <laughs> file box. This week was fabulous. This week sucked. This week. But, but, but what if something amazing or something tragic happens in the last, like my last work hour? Could change everything. So I have a lot of questions to ask you. And first of all, I have to tell you, I love your name. Just to be able to say it with all those really lush, ripe syllables in there, it seems to me it's such a perfect vocal expression of who you are with this depth and richness and mm. zest for life, joie de vivre. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nina. That's a lovely thing to say. Well, I call it as I seize it. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about what it means to be a wild creation coach. So the story of that, as it occurs to me right now, I was thinking about what do I do? You know, how do I describe what I do? How do I put a name on something that feels right? So I started writing down words that I felt embodied what I want to do with clients because, you know, I even have, I have clients who said, Stephanie, you're not a business coach. What are you kidding me? Like half the time we're not even talking about business or focusing on anything about that at all. It, we might, sometimes we do. It depends on the person. It depends on what's happening, right? So I was like, how do I describe this? And I settled on this world wild creation coach because this is what I endeavor to do. This is what I love to do. And not just in coaching, but really in life. It's like, what could we create that's really cool? If we come into this space of anything is possible, I wonder what if, right? We're working with, I call that wild creation because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, there's maybe an intention held loosely or with determination and focus, but we never know what's going to emerge from that. It's, it's very like what I see you do with art, you know, and especially with your collages when you are just doing stuff, um, allowing it to move through you without a goal in mind without any knowledge of what you're going to end up with. And I love, you know, that was, that's where I love to play. And in particular around business, but really always. <laughs> so that would dovetail into my next question, which is something that you touched on a little bit, which is how does that work in the world of marketing? Because marketing seems to be all about strategies and techniques and Oh my, all these other things that make my head spin. This is an exploration that is particularly alive for me right now and has been, but is really alive for me right now. So in exploring the nature of concepts and thought and how it's all made up, right? I'm realizing marketing is made up. It is completely made up. Now we have an idea of activities that fall under that category and those that don't. And I'm like, I've made it up. How have I made it up? In many ways, I have made it up as I'm supposed, it's supposed to be done a certain way. There are rules of marketing that have been beaten into my head over the past 15 years or more of studying internet marketing in particular, 
direct response marketing, things like you need to agitate the pain points of your ideal client. Ouch. Because people buy on emotion. <laughs> yeah, I see <laughs> Nick, Nicholas going like this, blah, blah, right? Because people buy on emotion. So you need to make them feel really emotional and get in touch with what's going to happen if they don't change this problem, you know, so that they're most likely to buy. Like, ew, ick, yuck. Like, that's how it was made up to me. And, and I believed it for a long time because I thought like, oh, that's what's necessary in order to do the beautiful work of serving people, of helping them with whatever it is that I'm doing so that they can achieve whatever, create whatever they want in their life. So I realized I made that up. And I also realized that that wasn't, that story was not working for me anymore. So I said, all right, well, what if I make up something different? So I, I made up this thing called unmarketing, which is really just throwing out all the concepts and all the ideas and saying, all right, marketing doesn't exist. How are you going to reach out and connect with people now? How are you going to find people now? It's just you, your message, and the person on the other side. It's a connection. It's a conversation. It's something really simple and natural. And it lets us conceive of it in a whole new way. So to me, that's what wild, the beginning of wild creation and marketing. Now, what does that look like in this unmarketing world? It's like a whole other, it's a new frontier in a way. So I started thinking about like, what if, what if marketing is, could be anything? What would you want it to be? Like, what if it was a person? What if it was a piece of art? What if it was a story? What if it was a plant? You know, like it just, I start thinking all kinds of different ways and sooner or later, something's going to spark that I wouldn't have thought of when I'm going down the same old ruts of that conditioned thinking and all of the, you know, the things I've been taught about how it's supposed to be done and what it looks like and what it doesn't. You know what, as you were talking about deliberately making people feel bad so they'll buy your solution. You have to hold your own hand to the fire to do something like that because who likes to remind people that they're suffering? And then you take somebody else's hand and you bring it to the fire with you. Oh, that's a good time. God, we need to do this. It's for our own good. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. So yeah. what if there is a different way? which is more inspiring than punitive. Mm, yeah, there absolutely is. And I think it's the same question, or it reminds me of this question that has come up with a lot of, and I don't usually call them clients. I usually call them client playmates. So I'll give a little introduction. My client playmates, right, of late have been really putting a lot of pressure on themselves, experiencing a lot of pressure around things. I've had conversations about this. And as we ask into it, it looks like, I need this painful motivation in order to do things, in order to have the life that I want, in order to do the things that I, I want to create inside of my business and get myself to do the things that I don't want to do, but I know I need to do. And sometimes even the things I do want to do. So I can't let go of this negative motivation. I can't let go of the pressure or the fear or the the dread or the worry, because if I did, then I would just lie on the couch and eat chocolate and watch Netflix all day. I'm like, really? Is that the only way you ever do anything? It, could there be another motivation? And this is something I heard Tim Ferriss talk about with, was he talking to Jack Cornfield or someone like that? I can't remember, but they were discussing this, that there's, no, it wasn't him. It was another guy. This 
transition, when you finally start letting go of some of that pressure and all those things that used to motivate you to get stuff done, that there's like this, I don't know what I'm doing, period. Like there's a bit of an adjustment, like what, how do I move in the world now? But that when you're willing to stay in that space, something new arises and there's a whole other source of inspiration that's possible. There's a whole other source of movement and motivation, such as inspiration, creativity, curiosity, enthusiasm, all of these, like you will find your own, but we are born creative. This is what we do. Small children don't just sit forever. Even when they're little babies, they're like, as soon as they can see a world, and they're aware, become aware of things. They're looking at it. And I don't know what their experience is like. Wow. But they're doing something. Like they're creating inside of it. And as soon as they can interact with the world, they're doing it. Whether it's their little fingers and toes or they're crawling and pulling at things and like touching them and eating them. They want to taste everything, right? They want to taste the world. And I really think that's us still. When we allow it. Yeah. So when you're working with your client playmates... I'm playing with them, Nina. I, I'm not working with them. We can call it working in air quotes. When you're enjoying the company of your client playmates, <laughs> how's that? what's the playground with you? What's the playground? Mm, it's what would you really like to create now? It kind of begins with that, which is a big question or a small question, depending on how they take it, right? I'm like, oh, and I, that's always an interesting question to ask because it tells me a lot about how the world looks to them in that moment. Do they get really practical? Do they go micro level? Like you mean this sentence coming out of my mouth? Do they start talking about their whole life forever? That's, that's a question I love to play with. And I find that I usually have to ask that in different variations about at least four times before the real thing that they desire actually starts to emerge. Because we're so often so weighed down in what we think we're supposed to want and what we think that's supposed to look like that we aren't in touch with it. It's there. It's always there, like the seed of it anyway, even if it's a fantasy or a dream that doesn't look anything like reality, which is something that would be very likely to come out of my mouth. I'm like, I want to fly with dragons. You know, I would say something like that. And like, okay, but actually there's a seed in that, right? Like there's a there's an energy to it. There's an intention. There's an experience. There's something that that means to me. And what I can bring that down. Yes, feeling, right? Like, and I can bring it down and I can have it right now in this moment. Like, what would it be like? Okay, if this conversation is riding a dragon, what would that be like? Like, I'm having a whole other experience now. So that's, I think I'm giving, I'm, I think I'm actually having that experience of what I do when I'm talking with you. But that's where it usually starts. And then wherever my curiosity goes is where we play. And sometimes there actually really is play. I'm like, can we tell a story here? Like, would you be willing to do a little visualization? How would you close your eyes? And, you know, as long as it's for them. And sometimes it goes over and sometimes it doesn't. I kind of think it's always useful. I talk about it like flipping over stones. Now, what's under there? What's, what happens if I do this? I'm going to push this button, not in a mean or obnoxious way but in a very curious way, like what happens when we do that? Let's find out. So that's very much in this space. And elements that often come out, they're very inspiring. I find this in common with what you're doing too, Nina, in that 
I don't spend a lot of time like going into the past and all the problems and the heavy and here I'm even making myself heavy as I talk about it, you know, like all the stuff that weighs us down. Sometimes it's useful to be with it, invite it, like let it be here with us. Sometimes I am led to talk about it enough that it's really okay. But what I find is that as soon as we do that and we can get present, there's an invitation to start playing right away and looking at what brings us inspiration and talking about what we might like to create. Not always, but almost always. It's right there. And it's okay if we even come in and out of that a little bit. That's what tends to happen. So it's very inspiring. What would you like to create is fun. And the language, language, I language is alive for me when people say it. It carries the energy of the feeling and that unique flavor or essence of the universe as it creates through Nina, for example. And you'll use certain words and I just know they mean something to you. Like they're vibrating with something. I'm like, oh, those words. And so I like to start to put pieces together. It's like a little puzzle and connect some of the dots in what they'd like to create. And we start tossing it back and forth. It's like, oh, how about this? How about that? That's sort of what's happening. And it looks different with different people. Mm. But what emerges is a very, an ins- I would say like an inspired vision and actions that come from that, like simple actions. It reminds me of that quote from Steve Chandler's book, Creator, when he's complaining to his mentor about his woes. And his mentor, who's also named Steve, says, well, okay, given how you've described the circumstances, what would you like to create? So the emphasis goes off me and my little troubles onto Mm -hmm. what else is possible. And the book that I mentioned earlier, 10 Worlds of Wisdom, excuse me, of happiness, they say that one of the characteristics of enlightenment, and I think there's a connection between creativity and spirituality, is forgetting our small self. And I think that what you're, the way I'm hearing what you're talking about is that when we take our attention away from this problem that I have, this thing I have to solve, this thing I have to slog through, and turn our attention to what could we create, what's possible, what else is here, what can I do with this, then the energy shift is so dramatic that it allows us to go into these wild places that you're playing in in your playground. Yeah. And I can see it happen when I'm with someone in the way that they settle at a certain point. Like it feels like things are, I experience things around me spatially. So it's like, everything's here like this, right? They're, they're buzzing around the problem in their head. There's a lot of thinking happening and probably a lot of feeling and sensation in their body that comes with it. And then when we can come into the moment and get present, which is also where I think there's a real overlap with spirituality and creativity there, because once we're here, really here, then we have access to everything. It's like that opens the door to everything. And so that settling allows for creativity, allows for connection with something beyond ourselves. And anything that has more than we do has got to be worth inquiring into. I'd certainly like, I feel like I know so very little that, oh my goodness, how could I not be curious about that? Well, that is such a wonderful attitude to have because isn't that one of the obstacles to doing anything 
thinking I already know what it's going to look like or how long it's going to take me or who's going to like it. So not knowing is that's go. That's the go start on the board game. Yeah, it really is. In fact, I was just, I was just remarking this morning. I'm like, oh my God, everything is changing. What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing because I'm like in this movement that is emerging, constantly emerging something new. And I'm like, whoa, it really is. My life is feeling more like that ride than it ever has. And I was having a moment of, oh my God, I got to hold on. What's going on? And so my partner says to me, do you ever know? Like, no. Okay. But sometimes I'm really good at telling a story that I know. Right. Like, because it's just what's coming out of you in the moment. (laughs) We're all big enough that we can handle it. Tell me how the work that you've done has gotten you onto Huffington Post and Fox Business News and Mm. all those numerous publications. It was funny hearing those things in there because I don't really ever lead that. And I don't even often include it in an intro. So it was kind of funny that it got here. Creating content actually is how. So in my former business, which I've since sold, it was called Book More Brides. I was teaching Um, marketing to wedding professionals. So to DJs and wedding planners and photographers. And it's always been quite natural for me to do this thing of creation and content, like helping people learn how to do stuff or see things in new ways. So I would create pieces and they ended up, some of them ended up getting featured in these publications. I'm trying, the Vox one, I think in particular was interesting because it was an expose on how people rip you off in the wedding business. Just as soon as you say wedding, the price goes up. There's a whole box of worms, a box of worms, a can of worms. We have boxes of worms too that you can open up there. Um, It was very hot at the time. And I had written something. I wrote an article that was in response to a particular piece that was getting floated around by wedding professionals. They were very upset about it because they were talking about the ripoffs in the wedding industry. And I, it was something like 10 things the media won't tell you about wedding pricing or whatever. And that got promoted. I mean, I think I had like over 40,000 people or something looking at that because it was very topical. So those types of things are what got me on the map there and also client relationships. So I had a um, I had a client who was writing for Huffington Post and she wrote about her experience with me there too. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was very fun. And I never really did any of that intentionally. It was just really came out of what came naturally for me. How about telling us something about your storytelling evolution oh. from the time <laughs> that I've known you since Emerging Voices with Michael Neal? I've always been floored by how you can pull something out of thin air and weave it into a magical story. So tell Mm. us a little about how that's evolved for you and where you began to know that you were a storyteller. I didn't really know that I was a storyteller until I think it was about a year and a half ago now. I was doing a journey called the, the Purpose Mapping Journey with a gentleman named Craig Filek. It's It's a very cool journey where he took me into... Oh my goodness. We looked at all of those things I meant you mentioned earlier, human design, Enneagram, astrology. We looked at all of them for things that were either resonated or really didn't. 
like like traits and descriptions and words and phrases and collected this huge list and went through everything and it was all the process was to distill it all down to this very potent purpose statement i really didn't care about the purpose statement honestly i just loved craig and i wanted to have the experience of the journey with him because he's quite brilliant but there were all kinds of insights that came from it and one of them i had to choose the words, three words out of all of these to describe my strengths. I even had 360 feedback from friends and family, by the way, where they would tell me, you know, who is Stephanie? Describe Stephanie at her best. Describe Stephanie when she's challenged. You know, what is she not, maybe not seeing? I mean, it was really interesting, very interesting process. And I had to come up with three words to describe, like verbs, to describe my strength. And one of them that I settled on was storytelling. And something about it felt right. I did not think of myself as a storyteller at that time, believe it or not. And then I started to see it everywhere. I started to remember that when I was a little girl, one of my favorite things to do was to like write plays and perform them with my little brother and anybody else I could drag into it. And so I went, oh, I'm a storyteller. And this, this is too, Nina, like something interesting in creation. It's like the spark is here it's co-creative with the universe, right? Like it's, it's in me, but it's also responsive. So like we start doing it together. And just by saying I'm a storyteller, I begin to become more of one. It starts to arise from me. And so I started going, well, huh? Well, what if I did, what if, what stories am I telling? How can I tell stories? And then I said, what would be the coolest story to tell? And I thought about what is storytelling transformation? Hmm. How do stories help us transform? And there are a lot of people who um, talk about the transformative power of story. People like you use it as a metaphor all the time. There's metaphor and story in everything you say. Michael Neal uses it extensively when he's teaching story and metaphor. But I'd never heard of someone actually doing a thing called storytelling transformations. So I said, I wonder if I could just make it up. Yeah, <laughs> I can. So I started playing with that a bit. And I actually had an opportunity that came up randomly last fall to do a fair in Sedona for like a wellness healing retreat. They were looking for people, for practitioners to do little taster sessions. And I, and I pitched this idea that I'd never done before of a storytelling, like a, a storytelling transformation session. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm just going to, so I, and I was like, she's going to like this idea. I wrote it up and it sounded really good. And I said, she's going to take me up on it. And then I'm going to have to do it. So I started playing with this. What does that mean? So I borrowed some ideas that I've had from some friends and ended up doing what are essentially channeled story sessions. So everything creative is channeled, right? Where does it come from? I don't know. That's a secret, folks. We're sharing yeah. it with you here. We're, we're all channeling. We're all channelers. I don't know what we're channeling, but we're channeling something. And so I ended up doing this 10 sessions back to back. They were each eight minutes long in which the person I was talking was talking to would say something about their life. Uh, I'd ask them, what would you like to get out of this experience? You know, what would you like insight into? So they talk for maybe a, a minute or so. And then I would just tell them a story on the spot, just spontaneous storytelling. I had no preparation for that. It was like all over the place. And then we maybe have a little bit of time at the end to talk about it. Like, what did you hear in that? You know, what was a message for you? And it was really beautiful. It was like just stepping out there like, I don't know where this stuff is going to come from. There were a lot of tears. Sometimes it's like people just hand it to me. 
because the metaphors, again, like the words just pop out of what they're saying. And I'm the, they told the story. They just didn't know that they told me the story. It was like a full sensory experience. Like, poof, I just, it dropped in. And then sometimes something else would come through that was like someone talking to them that wasn't me. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting too. That wasn't not me, but wasn't me. So that was a, a part of the evolution. And I did that. I still do that sometimes in sessions and coaching sessions. We might do that. It's really fun, especially if someone is a little bit having a little bit of uh, difficulty seeing something new, telling a story. We are always inevitably telling a story about ourselves and our lives. So when you provide just a little bit of distance and you say, once upon a time, there was a fox who had this inevitably they're going to be talking about exactly what's happening in their lives in the language and symbolism that is perfect for them. And usually I like, I help them tell a story and then what happened and what happened if, with this and then what next? And Oh, what did he say? And how is he reacting? You know, and we'll kind of play the story out together and usually they'll get to a stuck point, which is always interesting. It's like somewhere it doesn't look stuck to me, but to them, it's like, well, that's just how it goes. And I'm like, this is a story you're making up. Hmm. I wonder what else is possible. Anything, like literally anything that you are willing to explore in your story that you're making up, you can, but they don't see it. And then as we begin to play with that and see it, something else opens up and it may or may not make a conscious connection for them, but it helps them shift perspective and things are kind of moving. Um, and I find that it is actually useful because most people see the surface interpretation like a dream they see the surface interpretation of the story, but they don't see the other implications that are glaringly obvious to me. So like a few like curious questions I can say, have you noticed where this might be like this? <gasps> oh my God. No. So it can be really transformational, really perspective shifting. Um, and so I'm still telling stories like that, watching to see how it evolves because I suspect, I mean, my real fantasy is that I just go places and tell stories with people and play and have fun. And like they see things, their lives open up and, you know, they create cool stuff as a result. Like, and I don't know what that is, but that's like as close as I can get to that. That's my exploration. <laughs> that's great. So uh, if you have a question for Stephanie, you can either type it into the chat or if you're really excited and want to speak directly to her, just raise your hand and we'll get you on. You may speak to the great and powerful lots. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're waiting for that possibility to emerge, tell us about your almost trip to Japan <laughs> and all the things that led up to it. And because you were just following that something that you were co-creating with. Do you want to know all the things that led up to that? Oh, all right, no, gonna... no, no, no. That would take another bit of time, probably more than we have on this call. But it was so much fun to listen to you tell the sequence of things, how this happened. So you just decided to do this. And then that person showed up. And then this opportunity showed up. And then COVID showed up. And... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll make it brief enough and yet still complete somehow. So um, I actually met my partner in December of last year. And when we met, it was very clear to me, as it often is, why is this guy not in Japan? I mean, he's a Japanophile since he was very young. He speaks the language quite fluently into anime. You, you, you're already getting a picture of the really brilliant philosopher mind and 
just so in love with the com- the country and the culture and he'd never been there. I'm like, why are you not there right now? Like, this is just silly. But it planted a seed because I'd never thought about visiting Japan. Japan, huh? So that was December. And then comes creating the impossible in January. So there's like this budding romance and everything happening at the same time, which is all part of it. Like it's a part of the mix in this creative stew that is my life. And I'm like, what, what would be really fun? I did Creating the Impossible the year before and I, I didn't get it. Like I didn't get the point. I had this cool idea and immediately made it realistic because that's what I thought Creating the Impossible was. Like, oh yeah, you start with the dream and then you make it realistic and do it. So this time I actually went, no, it's got to seem kind of crazy. So I said, all right, something in Japan. I'm going to go to Japan and it has something to do with storytelling. What is it? And so I sat with that for a couple of days and I said, oh my God, I'm going to tell a story in Japanese on stage in Tokyo. And, and I was like, okay, that's it. And I even like picked out where I was going to do it because I started thinking about it. And I found out about, I learned a little bit about this style of Japanese storytelling called Rakugo which is they sit on a pillow, it's, it's one performer, and they do all the voices. It's actually very minimalist, but I knew nothing about it other than just like whimsical, like, oh, that looks cool, I'll do it like that, right? Um, and I said, I'm gonna do it. So the, really the very next day after I think I declared that, I have this email list that I'm on called Trusted House Sitters, and they send out opportunities for pet sitting. And I'd been pet sitting for some time, I think about two years at that point. And so I look through the list, and. I'd been looking at Japan for about a month or two because this was in the back of my mind. There were rarely any house sits in Japan. And the ones that there were were usually a week long. That, that just wasn't going to do it. But it just so happened that there was a house sit outside of Tokyo for a month in April of 2020. And I said, oh, I'm going to apply for this. I'm not going to get it. I know I'm not because international house, house sits, I've done them before. It usually takes about a dozen or so tries before I get there, but I'm going to try it. So I put in my application and within four hours, I get a response back from the woman with an, an official invitation to come. She's never spoken to me. And she says, I trust my intuition and I think you should come and have this adventure in Japan. And I had my accommodations, free accommodations in Japan to take care of these, this woman's two birds. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm doing this thing. Wow. I better start learning Japanese. So, so I did, and things didn't go that way, right? So the first thing, this woman happened to be in the tourist industry, and first she said, I'm giving away my birds, so I don't actually need a pet sitter now, but I still want you to come. Okay, that's good. And then a couple weeks later, her business was suffering, and the tour she was going to be going away on was canceled, and she said, I'm sorry, we, I can't, you know, I'm going to need the house. So that was done. This was probably... February timeframe. I'm like, okay, I'm still going. I'm in. I got tickets. I'm ready to go. I just need to find other accommodations. But then COVID happened. And it was, and it wasn't something that I really thought about or worried about. I just kept checking in. Am I still going? Yep. Am I still going? Yep. Am I still going? No. And it was almost like literally overnight, the information I needed crossed my path and things just became really clear. I'm not going now. So I'm still planning to go. I'm still learning Japanese. I've taken um, lessons in Rakugo to learn about this storytelling style, which holy cow, I did not know what I was getting myself into. It's like many things in Japanese culture, it's incredibly detailed and meticulous and 
thoughtful, intentional, and like, wow, it's just a beautiful experience of the culture. But I've also created some great connections in Tokyo. Like I have a friend I talk to now every week who's a comedian, storyteller, actress, and that, like all of this stuff came from it that I never would have done and never would have explored. And right now there's like a tentative idea that I'll be going to Japan in April, but who knows? It's still questionable, but I'm still planning. It still feels like, yep, I'm going. That's how I'm living my life more now. Like where are things opening up? What's, what's happening here? And it changes and it's supposed to. What I love about this story and for those of you who are listening, there's a, there's a lot in the backstory that's not being shared in the moment, but what I love about it is your willingness to keep checking in with yourself. You know, it's not like you're following the news or you're depending on someone else to tell you what's next. You've got this inner compass, if you will, that is found over time is incredibly reliable and that you are willing to pay attention to that more than you are in terms of outer circumstance. And I think that is such an important key to how you do what you do. And to me, it's an invitation for all of us to to live that way and explore and see what it's like, because it's certainly more alive and more adventuresome than, oh, checking the headlines and, oh my God, this is happening and this could ruin it, rather than just simply checking in with yourself and that that knowing. Yeah, I'm finding that the more I allow myself to do that in any area of life, the more I realize I can feel it. And I'll like I'll get something like, go that way, but not now. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how is that even a thing? Like, I feel it. Like, I, nope. But if I try to go there, like there's almost this little tension that goes, not yet, not yet. Not. And then all of a sudden I'm doing it. It's like, so the question becomes less of, you know, what am I going to do than what is happening now? Like what is happening? And I am not saying I have this perfect at all. Like I'm in and out of it trying to figure things out. I have wasted a lot of time. And really only in the last week, I had another little breakthrough of like, okay, I'm not allowed to figure anything out anymore. So I either do it or don't. It's like, do it or don't. Do I want to? Yeah. Okay. Do it. See what happens. Throw it out there. And like things are moving in a different way. And even since my exploration with creating the impossible Japan project, I feel like I'm playing it in a different way now. Martin has his blue hand up. So over to you. Thank you so much. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Martin. Stephanie gave me a, a very nice compliment last night, so I just wanted to say uh, arigato. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for, uh, for the compliment. That story just related so much to me because it was almost the opposite for me, actually, where I was in Thailand when this thing happened, and so I kind of did the opposite, where I was like over there, and then I had to come back. And I've been trying to to figure out, like, that's the problem, I guess, that I've been trying to figure out, like, what I want to do if I want to go back over there. Or now do I want to stay home in New York? And it's been just kind of like this complicated thought process going on. And, um, and I just feel like the way that you told that story, it just related so well to me to just kind of stop. And that last bit, too, just stop figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you aware of right now, even in this moment, as you're talking about it, having heard the story, do you feel the pull? to Thailand still? Do you feel that I, I, I do. And I, uh-huh. I felt that pull for a very long time because my mom was very worried about me going over there when I first thought about it. And, uh, and she was looking at the school that I was going to be working at. 
and she was just like, you know, I realized that everything was going to be okay because the founder of the school in Thailand, his name was Martin. <laughs> like, what are the <laughs> chances that happening? <laughs> it was meant to be. It, yeah, it was. So, um, so yeah, so it just feels like there's some sort of pull that's, it's kind of want, wanted me to be home for a while, I think, and then realize that, yeah, you should get back over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you feel it, and you'll know when you know, but that, yeah. you, that you're feeling, right? And that's kind of how I feel with Japan, like, yep, still feeling the pull, that could change. And if it does, it doesn't mean I was wrong. That's the, that's the thing that I'm recognizing. Like I used to think there was like a one, right? It is real time. It is unfolding. There are so many variables. My yes today might be a no tomorrow and it doesn't mean it was wrong today. And that blows my mind a little bit. Wow. It likes to try to draw a straight linear path with things, but yeah, that's cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, thank you. And, and I have one more question, if that's okay. Way, <laughs> this is going way back to the beginning of the conversation where you were talking about like, how is your week and kind of ranking it on a scale. And, uh, and I had a client a couple weeks ago and I, we were talking about like confidence and I was asking him like where he was on the scale. And I don't remember if he said like a five or a six or, and, and then the next question was like, well, where do you, where would you like to be? And, and he said like, I don't want to be a 10 because I don't want to be overconfident. <laughs> and, and and that was like kind of like what you were saying, like I don't know should I say 10 and I, I feel like there's some sort of like guilt at some level where like I don't want to be like a 10 because then I feel guilty that I'm at a 10 and other people aren't mm. I, don't, I don't know it was just like it was interesting that you mentioned that in the beginning and, and I made that that little connection somehow to my client <laughs> yeah like we're not I'm not allowed to have a 10 experience because that would be bragging or arrogant or making myself look like I'm, cause I did experience that too. And then I kind of settled on like, no, I'm having a 10 experience of aliveness. I'm not gonna say like emotionally or results wise, I don't even know what that looks like. Is it useful? I actually have found it useful to rate things just by a comparison sometimes with some things to get a beat on it. But yeah, that's really interesting. Like, are we allowed? Yeah, and that's uh, that question, like, how's your week going, is something that, you know, I hear or ask all the time. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. It's just totally different than... I, I can, like, someone asked me, how are you doing? And I'm like, how am I doing? How's your day going? I'm like, what did I do today? I don't even know half the time. I'm like, good, really good. Thank you for asking. You know, like, how can I not be good? Like, I'm here. And it sounds like I'm being a wise ass. And sometimes I am a little bit. But I, I can't help but think of that and how we're narrowing our experience. We're labeling and judging our experience and limiting it without realizing it. Like I say to clients when they talk about feeling confident, I'm like, do you have to feel confident to do it? Could you do it anyway? You know, like just poking. Like really, what if you're not confident? Could you still? Yeah, I could. Do you think you could still do it? Probably. And maybe you could feel confident. Maybe you could not. Like sometimes I'm really not confident. I posted some things this week and I'm like, oh my God, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And like, I get to see. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Martin. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, Martin. So this conversation about how we react to things and paying attention to our feelings is reminding me of some research that I saw again. So that means to me that it, I might look into it a little bit more is that we act first and then we have a thought about it. So the action precedes thinking. 
But because it happens so fast, we think the thinking happens before the action. And they've done tests where they're, they stimulate certain parts of the body and there's a response in the body and then there's a thought that happens afterwards. So just rolling that around in my head, it's like, holy smokes, I'm making up a story about something that is already in play. This yeah. thing coming through me, this whatever we call it, life energy, presence, consciousness, whatever it is, is already in motion. And we tell stories about what's happening and how it should or shouldn't happen. And we do it everywhere. We do it in marketing. We do it in business. We do it in relationships until what I loved about this description in the book I've been reading is that one of the essential ingredients of enlightenment is forgetting yourself. So if I forget whether mm. deliberately or not, because I'm captivated by what's going on around me and I'm not thinking about myself, it's a whole different game. And that state of being in flow is a whole lot more possible than my telling myself, oh, I can't do that. Or this means that, which is usually negative, And <laughs> I hold myself back. But if I realize the stories are coming after the actions are happening, that's a mind blower. It really is seeming more and more that way to me. Like life is living me. And I just have this made up story about, I look at myself, like I can do this in the context of thought. I am feeling something. I'm feeling fear. And my mind looks around and goes, okay, what's going on that's making me feel this way? Is it a thought? Is it this thing in my environment that's happening? And I'm really aware that it has nothing to do with it. It could be, it, it's, it has nothing to do with it. Like it is entirely made up. And I think about this, like somebody asked me, why did you choose that? I'm like, well, I could make up a lot of reasons. None of them would be true. I'm doing it because I'm doing it. I don't know why. I, my mind likes to make up a story that kind of gives me some sense of continuity about who I am. And this, I'm the kind of person who does this type of thing and not that type of thing. Or I used to be that, but now I'm this. None of that is true. And I feel like I'm living closer to the earth these days. This is how I'll describe it. It's like I'm living closer to the earth and I'm like listening and feeling and waiting for it to move through me. And I don't, at some point, I suspect I won't even have this waiting. It'll be just like part of it. I'm part of it. It's part of me. It's moving me. But right now it feels useful to like be like, what's moving me? What's happening? What am I hearing? What am I sensing? Because I, I'm still, I'm still thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing a lot of that, definitely. Well, they say it's, you can't avoid thinking. It's the opinions that we have about our thinking that mm -hmm. catch us up. Yeah. Oh, and I, uh, yeah, I still spend a lot of time believing my thinking, some of it in particular. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah. It's really okay. Like, especially when I know it, it's totally okay. And there is something very cool about the dynamic of being totally clueless. And then suddenly the light bulb goes off and, oh, right, that sense of exhilaration, like, whoa, not, oh, shit, I should have known that. But again, it goes back to what we've been talking about all along is taking your attention off the obstacles or the resistance and looking at what is already starting to be created. The seeds are right there. The invitation yes, yes. is right there. The hand is out there waiting it's to take just, yours. Turn, just all it takes is like one thought, one movement of the head. You're just looking in a new direction. There's this belief that we have that we have to focus on the thing to fix it, the thing that's wrong. 
And what I'm finding is that it's really not true. Sometimes there's something to do about it, but it doesn't look like that. It looks like, oh, how about this instead, is what it really looks like. And there's some, I sit and think about like, what is that transition? But it, se it makes more sense to me these days to help people look in the new direction than to go deep into the problem and explore it. Because that only reinforces that story. Right. Doesn't I'm kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I almost feel that way sometimes. And I'm not dismissing the pain. You know, I can do that sometimes. Maybe I am actually a little, but it's actually in a good way that's received, which is, I don't know how that happens because it sounds horrible. It sounds like I'm a very mean person. But it's like, yes, yes, I understand. And how about this? What about that? You know, kind of, yeah. That's, and keep redirecting, redirecting. And eventually it catches because that's where we really would like to be when we know we can yeah. again. And even if we don't know that we can, we still want to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And that's, to me, that's the calling. That's the, the feeling that you were talking about with Martin. You still feel it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that we get that little hint, that little invitation? And it's not, I guess we hear it as words in our head, but there's a feeling attached to it of more, come, hear, look. Mm-hmm. It still wants it, whatever it is, still wants you to look, still wants you to move in that direction. Yeah. And it doesn't always or even often end up looking the way I think it's going to. Like my idea, I'm telling a story about what it means that I'm drawn to Japan. It could have nothing at all to do with me ever visiting Japan. And I may never know what it is. And if I'm okay with that, it's really fun because I do get to see what it, it emerges and where it leads me. And how could life be any better than that? Unless you really want to sit in front of Netflix and watch it for hours on end. If you've got that itch to see more, do more, be more, become more alive, which is what we were talking about before, how could you not want to pry? Mm, yeah. What else is coming through you that would be a good way to end the call today? I feel very moved in this moment. And I also feel like there are times when it feels scary to try. And that's okay, too. Like it's okay to not try. Like that's what actually was coming up for me is that sometimes I do want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. And like the more that I allow myself the permission to experience all of that, the not wanting to try and the wanting to zone out on Netflix, sometimes actually that's perfect. I can, I think about the other day, I had something I was really just like overthinking and overthinking. And I was like, oh, and I put on this show. There's a show on Netflix called Atypical. And it's about it a, like you. <laughs> it's a it's a, a family, and one of the kids in the family has um, autism, and it's about their experiences, and it's heartwarming, but it's not too sappy. It was a really nice combination. I found myself smiling, and just totally let go of all that thinking, and I, it just really helped those things move. And I'm not saying that Netflix is a solution, but in that moment, it actually was what I knew to do, which is just like, stop, you know, just stop. Like that is okay too. Like wisdom doesn't always look like I think it's supposed to look. Sometimes it looks like screaming or, you know, just giving myself permission to have a mini tantrum. Cause when I do have a tantrum, it's not that fun for very long. It's like fun. Like I'm going to really enjoy this. Okay. I'm going to be grumpy. I'm going to really be grumpy for a while. And then we're, and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Now I could do something else. And yeah, so that's what comes up for me to share because I think it's like all of it's welcome. Yes, we're looking in the direction of something new and not our problems, but you know, the problems aren't really problems. They're just part of our experience. Yeah, that is such a, a wonderful point to make. You're right. Sitting on the couch, 
doesn't have to be a way of life. It can be very therapeutic. It does clear the decks very often. It can. Yeah. <laughs> Just well, I'm going to choose I'm it as a lifestyle or not. Yeah. Even that, like, why not give yourself permission to, we are afraid that if we give ourselves permission to do whatever we want, that's what we'll end up doing. And we might for a while, but I don't think we'll do it forever. Not if we're really giving ourselves permission, not if we're really looking. As the Bible says, this too shall pass. Yeah, it does. And we can test it. It's not something that, you know, don't believe me or Nina, like try it on. See what it does for you, if it makes sense. For some people, it absolutely makes sense to not do Netflix. Like they're, they've been doing that and their wisdom is saying, do not. That is not a good thing for you. And if you know that, do that. Like, don't listen to me. Listen to you. <laughs> listen to you. Perfect. Can you tell us where people can find you, what you're up to, and anything else they ought to know about cool. what you're doing? Thank you for that opportunity, Nina. Uh, you can find me on my website, theawakenedbusiness.com. Um, but I'm most active these days on Facebook. So feel free to reach out. And I do make personal friends with people I haven't actually met, as long as you seem kind of cool. And I'm sharing a lot of content there, more so even than on my website and Facebook page. So I'm sharing like articles, probably at least four or five times a week. And ironically, my newest project that I'm just launching this week is the no social media unmarketing experiment. So that's funny that I'm sharing it on Facebook. It's ridiculous, but I'm kind of exploring like, what if, what if we do marketing? What if we reach people without social media? Cause there are a lot of people who would like that, who would prefer the social it. Social dilemma. Yes, exactly. I'm not saying you have to, cause I really don't, but I want to see if I can. You know, I don't feel like, oh, it's not right. And I need to get off this platform. Like, no, it's been really good to me. And I make amazing connections. I just like to see, I think it would be kind of fun to explore that. And I do not know what I'm going to uncover there either. And if it will be doable for me personally, if it's something I even want to do, but I'm like, yeah, I want to try. I want to see. So you can follow my adventures on Facebook as well. Good. Stephanie Benedetto Padovani, that long flowing luscious name. Luscious. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I always enjoy to be with you. Oh, same here, Nina. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs>